Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Jesus can undo any kind of tragedy. The power of God can unravel those things in our life and undo what the devil did. Amen? And those of you that came to the altar this morning, God can undo what the enemies tried to do in your life. Your, your, uh, your, your dreams that have been on delay, some of you, your dreams have died. The message of the gospel is God resurrects the dead. And God will resurrect what you've been through. All this week, I've just been thinking about this, this verse. It just keeps coming to me, and I've, I've been kind of in a, a loss in, in uh, jet lag. <laughs> uh, in Korea, it's 14 hours ahead of time. And so I uh, got home, and my, my days were mixed up. And, but uh, in, in between just kind of trying to get my, my schedule back, I just kept feeling the Lord whisper this verse, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Jesus snatched the victory out of the jaws of death. I'm telling you, if you have dead areas of your life, dead dreams, Jesus wants to resurrect those things this morning. He wants to touch you and and give you hope and resurrect those things. I want you to turn with me. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I've been chewing on this concept for the last six months. and It was something we got into probably a year and a half ago. But I've really been meditating on this concept of the hidden wisdom of God and how God... God stewards His purposes. God governs His purposes in human history with two strategies. And they're really two sides to the one coin. And that is mysteries and revelation. He conceals and He reveals. And through the dissemination of revelation, the dissemination of wisdom and understanding, knowledge, God governs His purposes in, in, in the earth, in human history. He does that on an individual scale. In order for you to grow in God, if you want to go where God wants you to go, you've got to grow in understanding. It's, you, you, uh, 1 Peter says, uh, Grace be unto you through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the substance of the Christian life. Any fresh thing that God does in your life comes in the form of grace. It's an impartation. It's an infusion of grace. Grace is the power of God both to will and to do what God wants you to do. He he gives you the power to pull it off, but more than that, He gives you the desire to want to. That's good news. Because where I came from, even if I'd had the power to do right, I didn't want to do right. But grace is the the desire and the ability to do God's will. But the grace of God comes to us through the conduit, through the avenue of knowledge. 
So in order for you to receive more from God, you've got to know more about God. Knowledge is the currency of the kingdom. Okay? So that's why it's so crucial for us to be in the Word. That's why it's crucial for us to grow in our wisdom and understanding. We want to, we want to understand the Word because as we understand, we grow in Him. The more we know, the more we can grow. The more we can go into God's will. And so it's all one, one fabric of, of us understanding. And sometimes God will take you into experience and explain it. Other times you'll learn something in the Word theoretically and He'll bring you into the good of that. And so there's life. Light and life, light and life, light and life. He's, you're, you're, you're getting some, some theoretical understanding and then God's working that into your life as, as truth and something that's real. We don't want to get, we don't want to get so far out there in theory that all we have is a bunch of things that we believe we've never experienced. That's not God's will. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God wants us to, you see, the, the, the forbidden tree was not only the knowledge of evil, it was the tree of knowledge of good as well. Because God isn't into just theory. He wants you to have experience in Him. It's the tree of life. Uh, John chapter 8 says that Jesus said, They who follow after Me will never walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. In other words, He leads us with life. It's as we have experience in Him. And it's the anchoring it in the Word. We have a revelation of the Word. He makes it good in our life. Or we have God, God ministers to us. And then He anchors that in the Word. And that's how it's those two steps forward. Both legs need to hit the ground in, for, in order for us to go forward. Does that make sense? And so we need both. We need to grow in God. But that comes through knowledge. And so God... Here's the thing that many of us don't think about. We, we, hopefully we do here because I've talked about it a number of times. But what God does is God withholds knowledge. He conceals His wisdom. Again, when Jesus was t- speaking in parables, especially Matthew 13, the, the disciples said, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And in the parallel passages to that passage, they said, why do you speak in parables? He said, lest they hear and understand. He said, I'm, I'm, I speak in parables so that they won't understand. Why? Because what he was releasing to them was so valuable that he couldn't afford to give it to people who wouldn't value that which is valuable. And so he conceals, God withholds. And that's why we have this theme in Scripture, and it, especially in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 and 3. The mysteries of God. Matthew 13, the mysteries of the kingdom. God has mysteries. He, he leaks it out there in a way to heighten your hunger, but not give you understanding initially. And it's a test. What are you going to do when God lays something out there you don't understand? Are you going to be hungry enough to press in and say, I've got to have more. I've got to understand. It's to those that Jesus says, I, unto you has been given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. But if you're not hungry enough to press in for it, you'll be left in your ignorant state and therefore left at a plateau and no longer grow in God. So what, what pushes you forward, breaks you into new things, is your hunger. It's that, that thing that says, God, I've got to have more. And that God gives knowledge to the hungry and it breaks us into new things. And so it's crucial that we understand that. God is the great concealer and the great revealer. Jesus said, nothing has been concealed except that it is to be revealed. 
That's why there's that saying that God doesn't hide anything. He doesn't hide things from us. He hides them for us. If they're hidden, they're hidden for you. But they'll only be unlocked to you if you're hungry enough to pursue it. And so this thing of mysteries and revelation are an amazing uh, uh, strategy. It's a kingdom strategy to push His people forward. That's true for you as an individual, and it's true for us corporately. As a staff, we just went through some strategic planning, and it was hours of sifting through a bunch of stuff that was fascinating and and, uh, really gave some clarity for us as a leadership team. But one of the really interesting things that we did is, is the question was brought up, what are the scriptures for your church? What are the scriptures for the house? And I thought, the scriptures? Well, the Bible. You know, I'm thinking the whole Bible. But as soon as I began to think about it, all kinds of scriptures began to come up. All these that are significant to us. Why? Because God has released certain truths to us to push us forward as a people. And if you're part of this house, this family, this tribe, then those truths are very significant to you because they're going to push us into what God has for us. They're not, there's other churches that those truths aren't going to be as significant to them. There's going to be other truths that are significant to them because God has a different calling for that church. And so these things are connected to our destiny. So God reveals things to us to push us along in Him. So God has a strategy of concealing and revealing. And then we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this concept. And it's not isolated to this passage, but it's one of the primary passages where Paul unlocks or unpacks this particular concept in, in, in relationship to the enemy. And Paul speaks of the hidden wisdom or the secret wisdom of God. And in this passage, he says that it's hidden from the enemy. Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about the mysteries, the mysterion. And and as we've talked about before, the, the, the word mysteries in the Greek is mysterion. And the root word for mysterion is literally war room. So the idea is that the, 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 the military leaders, and in this context of Ephesians chapter 3, it's kingdom it's the kingdom of god those that are that are are uh, strategizing to move god's purposes forward and the fact is we do that with god we're in on it he's the, he's the general he's the king but we're in on that we 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 god says come let us reason together and and we strategize with heaven how to move forward but within a war room that strategy they would, they would pull in all the intel that was taken from the front lines and behind enemy lines. And they'd pull all that in and it would be a cloistered uh, meeting where they were shut off and, and it was secretive because they were, they were dealing with highly sensitive information and they would develop a strategy based on the intel. And that is, as a people, as a prophetic people, we have access to information behind enemy lines. We have, it's like when, when Elijah, he, uh, there, there was one of the pagan kings was going, he gathered his generals, and I want to say it's first kings, and he was going to, he, he was going to kill, kill one of them. He said, we got to find out there's a traitor in our midst. And one of the guys spoke and said, no, no, you don't understand. There's a prophet in Israel, and he comes into your bedchamber when you're strategizing, and he listens to what you're saying. It's pretty interesting. 
See, one of the purposes of the prophetic is so that we can get enemy intel so we can use it for strategy and God has His hidden wisdom. He keeps His wisdom, His strategy hidden, but the enemy's is revealed. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, the war room, they would take the intel, they would develop strategy, and then they would seal that strategy in a leather satchel with a wax seal, and they would deliver it to the front lines. And the troops would already be in place. They would be told to go to a certain coordinates without any orders. And only those who were surrendered enough, yielded enough to the, the master and trusted the king enough to show up without orders would be the people that would receive the mysterion, the, the marching orders. The secret strategy would be released at the time it needed to be released. And they would rout the enemy. And that's the idea behind this concept of the mysteries of God. And the fact is, you'll never have the mysteries of God revealed to you unless you are yielded enough to God to do what He says when you don't understand why. But if you demand a why before you do what He tells you, you're going to be, out, you're, you're going to be way behind enemy lines. You're, you're not going to be significantly used of God because you're, you're sentencing yourself to immaturity. We've got to be those people who just say... <laughs> Lord, you say jump, we say how high. We don't need to know why. And so it's this same idea that Paul begins to unpack in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The hidden wisdom of God. But he's, he's, no, he's no longer dealing with Ephesians chapter 3. It's really dealing with the hidden wisdom of God from our perspective as God's army, God's troops, God's people. And we're getting His mysteries so we know what to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's dealing with this same concept, but it's not from God's army, God's military perspective. It's from the enemy's perspective, where the enemy is bewildered and doesn't know what to do. So we pick this up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it says... Look at verse 6. We do not, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time again. You hear what that says? There's a wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden. From the beginning, God had a strategy. There was, it was from the beginning of time. God already knew what He was going to do in that moment of human history. And it's alluding to the cross. And then He says, verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So they were lured in by God's strategy. It was the hidden wisdom of God. Paul was... Paul was denigrating the world's wisdom. He said, we don't even mess with that. He said, matter of fact, God confronts man's wisdom with the gospel, which according to man's wisdom is foolishness. And in order to accept the gospel, you've got to humble yourself and look like a fool to the world and embrace the gospel. But here's the catch. The same gospel that makes you look like a fool, he says in this passage, is also the power of God to them that believe. So if you want the power, you've got to embrace looking like a fool. And if you refuse to look like a fool, you forfeit the power. And it's the hidden wisdom of God. Because man was undone. Man's 
standing with God was undone because of a desire for wisdom. And so God said, okay, to come back into graces, I'm going to deal with this inordinate desire, this sophistication. The word sophistication, literally Sophia, wisdom, it's the desire to appear wise. And it takes us off track. So God says, okay, in order to correct this thing, you're going to have to humble yourself and reject that thing and and be willing to be embraced, looking like a fool to come into the wisdom of the true wisdom of God. Really what God's saying is I'm going to deal with peer pressure. (laughs) And don't make the mistake that that's only for junior high kids. We still deal with it today. If you don't think so, just tune into Washington, D.C. or Hollywood, and you'll see peer pressure in action. So, here's the thing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. The devil really does believe he is smarter than God. You know that? The battle of the ages is a battle of wisdom. The battleground is the battle of wisdom. The enemy does not believe he's more powerful than God. If he did, he wouldn't tremble. It says he trembles. At the very name, he trembles before God. If he thought he was more powerful, he wouldn't tremble. It's not that he thinks he's more powerful, but he does think he's smarter, he's more cunning, he's more crafty, and he's going to overcome God through his own cunning. And God takes the secret wisdom that looks like foolishness and lures him in and undercuts him again and again and again and again and again. And here's the danger. When you and I are either spectators or participants in this war, and often we, our own life is the battlefield upon which it is taking place, we can fall into the trap of believing what the enemy believes rather than what God believes. And the hidden wisdom of God, which lures the enemy in and he thinks he's going to win, can also cause us to think he's going to win if we're not careful. If we don't keep God's perspective ever before us. The hidden wisdom of God is God's strategy. He conceals what he's really doing and allows the enemy to think he has the upper hand. And when we don't understand the wisdom of God, we can be looking at the same scenario and be convinced what the enemy is convinced of. Oh no, the enemy has the upper hand. I'm going down. And a lot of us get trapped in that trap. We've all been there at different times in our life. And so we must understand the wisdom of God. The the battle of the ages is a battle of wisdom. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, let's look at it here. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Look at Look at verse 10, chapter 3. His intent, God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. See, God is displaying his wisdom, but it's his hidden wisdom through your life and through your circumstances. And in order for that to happen, what, what, what the scenario that is played out again and again is it looks like you're going to lose. Once us settle for a second. 
The hidden wisdom of God manifested in your life. And that, the word says that that's God's purpose. That he's going to display the manifold, the many faceted wisdom. It means the many colored, many faceted. There's different angles to this thing. The many faceted wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be manifest through your life. And how does that work? The way he does it is he lures the enemy in. And again and again, the enemy thinks he's going to win. And in the last minute, God takes captivity captive, cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword, destroys the enemy with his own cross. The scenario is all through the word. And he flips the tables and we come out on top. God's purposes come out on top and the enemy loses. But if you you don't check in at the end of the story and you're only looking at the middle of the story, it's dangerous because you can believe that you're going to lose. And there have been a lot of people that got off of God's plan in the middle of the story because they don't understand this principle of the, myst- uh, the, 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 uh, the secret wisdom of God. And so what God is doing is He is manifesting His wisdom through the church. One of our primary purposes is to be the display case for God's secret wisdom. And what that means is there's be times it's going to be a secret to us as well. But we've got to be convinced of the goodness of God and continue to walk this out. And when we don't know why we're where we're at and what God's doing, we got to rest in this fact that God is good. That God is going to God's going to work everything for our good and when we hold to that, we can go through the process and we come out the other side. And a lot of people end up aborting the purposes of God halfway through. It's like that phrase, you know, it's all going to work out in the end. And if it ain't worked out, it ain't the end. (laughs) It's all going to work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it ain't the end. If it still hasn't worked out, you're still in the middle of the story. Hold to the truth that God is good. And God's going to work this thing out. So, it's a battle over wisdom. It's not primarily the power of God that we're displaying to the principalities and powers in heavenly realms. It's not even primarily the love of God that we are... No, it's the love of God that we're displaying to man. But it's the wisdom of God that we're displaying to those principalities. Because He looks at us and again and again and again, just like He did with Jesus at Calvary, what Paul says is that God allowed Jesus to be crucified and the enemy thought, finally, I can get my fingers into God Himself. He's took on human flesh and I can rip him limb from limb. I can torture him. I can mock him. I can taunt him. I can lock him in a prison cell in hell. And then on the third day, hell got indigestion. And God's hidden wisdom began to overturn the sentence. And here's the amazing thing. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. What does scripture say? From, it says, from the foundations of the earth, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. So God's plan was to crucify Jesus from the beginning. But yet this thing of death was rolled out as a judgment and a consequence of sin. It was a warning. Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. That was a heavy word. A word that was never to apply to this beautiful creation that God had just, uh, you know, placed them in. 
But God, God warned him, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And it was a warning. But I'm telling you, it was not only a warning to Adam and Eve, it was bait for Satan. Because he thought that's his ticket. And if I can, I can inflict death. I, I, mean, I spent the, those days with those precious saints from North Korea. And I saw the suffering that they've gone through. I heard just a little bit what they've gone through. The death of their loved ones. The torture. And the enemy used that to press the saints. The, the leader of the ministry told us about a young man that had made it across the border out of North Korea. He's 15 years old, starving to death. They had no food. So he made it across the border into China, collapsed in the street in, in a city in China. And a believer saw him before the police did. Because the police would have picked him back up and sent him back to North Korea and he went to prison. So this believer picked him up, took him back to his house and nursed him back to health, was feeding him. And finally, after several days, the kid was getting you know, cognitive enough. He asked me, he said, are you fattening up to harvest my organs? Because that's what they've been taught in North Korea. And the guy said, no, you don't understand. I owe a debt and I'm paying it off by serving you. And he said, what? You owe, you owe money and you're spending money on me? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. Jesus, the son of God, gave his life for me. And I'm paying it off. I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying towards that debt by loving you and serving you. And, and God's going to reward me in heaven for what I did for you. And the kid said, can I go to heaven with you? He said, no, you can't. He said, why not? He said, you've got to confess. He said, confess what? He said, your sin. He explained to him what sin was. And the kid said, I'm willing to do that. And the amazing thing, a 15-year-old kid, he started confessing his sins about noon and it wasn't until 3 a.m. that he was done. The kid just wept and wailed and just was on the floor, just undone over his sins. It was supernatural conviction. Was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And he immediately said, I've got to go back and tell my grandmother. She's going to die. And she's not going to be able to go to heaven unless I tell her how to do this confession thing. I've got to bring her the gospel. And they tried to talk him in. Listen, just stay here. And he said, no, you don't understand. I've got to get to my grandmother. And they said, you could get caught. He said, it doesn't matter. So they kept him for a couple weeks. Just discipled him, poured into him. Taught him, uh, I believe it was uh, amazing grace. And uh, just, just, and then, then they, he, he was going to go back and he wanted Bibles. And they said, bring some, some food. He said, I, he said they don't need food. They, he, you understand he was coming because he was starving. But he was so hungry for the word. He said, just give me as many Bibles as I can carry. They loaded him down with Bibles. He had a friend with him. And they made it back in and was immediately captured. They took him into prison and just beat him senseless. And the people that were with him said that, when he woke up in prison, he, 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 was, he was unrecognizable. His face was so mutilated. But when he woke up, he, the first thing he said is, I thought I'd be in heaven. He thought, he was, he thought he, they killed him. And he just got on his knees and began to sing Amazing Grace. Because it was the one song he remembered. And he just began to worship the Lord. About that time, his buddy, who was arrested with him, came in and said, listen... They're going to let us go. I told them the only reason I believed that message was so they would give me food. I don't really believe it. And they, they beat me again and said, don't, don't ever believe that again and we'll let you out tomorrow. He said, they're going to let me out. I'll wait for you out the side of the gate. You tell them the same thing and you can go with me. And the young man that was let go waited for two weeks for his buddy until finally another prisoner came out, was released and said, he told him he was waiting for. He said, he died. He refused to recant his faith. 
So this young man was so convicted, he risked his life again to get across the border into China, found those believers, and he, he was weeping. He said, what did he have that I didn't have? What was it that gave him the strength to stand when I didn't? And they said it was the baptism in the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And he received the Spirit and went back. The suffering these people have gone through. Now, how I got into that story, I've totally lost my way. I don't know. But it really moved me, okay? I got to get back. What's that? The secret wisdom, yes. Okay, let me just run to... It is already noon, and I know that many of you have hams in the, in the uh, oven. So I'm just going just, to read through a couple of things, and then we're going to pray. First thing we need to understand is death is one of God's primary mysteries. Part of his secret wisdom kept hidden from the foundation of the earth. Genesis 1.29, listen to what it says. Then God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So he says, in, in his original design, this is before it was affected by the fall, he creates trees that produce fruit, that have seeds, and those seeds then are planted, and the seeds die, open up, and produce more fruit. Part of God's original plan. He warns them, the soul that sins shall surely die. He warns it's the consequence of sin. Yet, in a secret way, God had already placed this idea of death and reproduction into his creation as a precursor, as a token, as a hint to what he's going to do at Calvary. Jesus says in John 12, 24 through 26, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. You hear what he said? Except a kernel of grain fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it is released into the many plants. Jesus was speaking of his death when he told that. And he compares his death to germination, the germination of a seed. And germination was already embedded in God's creation because it was a hint. It was part of God's divine plan. It was the hidden wisdom. And what the enemy didn't understand was by killing the one seed, he was literally releasing it to the many. I asked them if they get a picture up. I guess they weren't able to get it up this morning. Were you able to find that? It was, uh, there it is. Look at that. That picture kept coming to me all week long. I just kept seeing this picture of a little girl blowing a dandelion. And I'm telling you, that's what happened when the enemy crucified Jesus. He thought, I'm going to snuff out this one life that has tormented me and overcome me at every turn. Every time he finds a sick person, he makes them whole. He ruins every funeral he's ever invited to. Um, to this, he turns prostitutes into women of God. I've got to kill this guy. And he thought, finally. And he thought, I've got his dead body in my hand. And then the wind blew. And the seeds in the one became the many. And it's still spreading across the earth. And it was God's secret wisdom. And the enemy regrets the day he blew on that dandelion. Just keep that picture up there. I like that. Thank you. Death is the manner in which the gains of the one are transferred to the many. So you think about that. 
In Christ, even death is redeemed. It becomes the gateway for the dissemination of spiritual riches. How many of you have heard that prophetic word that Mark Sharona, who was supposed to be here next, next month, uh, Mark Sharona released about Billy Graham's death. Anybody hear that? I remember hearing that word years ago. I just didn't know it was Mark that, that gave it. And what Mark was saying is, is that he, he gave this word years ago that when Billy Graham dies, there's going to be a mantle of evangelism that falls on the nation. That's going to fall on the earth. And there's going to be a wave of evangelism. Now, that, that's a nice prophetic word. You can weigh it. But I'm telling you, it's embedded in Scripture. And that's why it's so valuable when saints who have gone before us and they've lived a long, productive life and they've accumulated things in the Spirit because upon their death, it's disseminated to the masses. What the one carries, the many can then carry through inheritance and through honor. And I believe that Billy Graham's death is a sign to us. I believe the greatest harvest in human history is right in front of us. And I believe we're going to begin to step into that in the next few years. So very quickly. Death is the manner in which the gains of one are transferred to the many. In Christ, even death is redeemed. For the, for the lost, death is still the judgment. And it's agonizing, permanent separation. But for the saved, we don't... It, it, death has been redeemed and transformed into a mechanism by which releases, which riches are released in mass. And what was in the one becomes in the many. When Jesus died, what was on him was released to the many. What he, what they were limited to getting through teaching with Jesus one on one after his death, the Spirit would reside on the many, and they could they could receive. And he, Jesus said, "I'm going to send another like unto myself, and he's going to teach you everything I said." It's the way of the kingdom. We don't lose those who have gone before us. They, they literally are part of the great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to take four more minutes. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race marked before us. You know what that word is? Witnesses? Marteo. It's martyrs. It, it has the idea of people who have given their lives and also for those who stand in witness of what someone else has done. The context of that passage in Hebrews chapter 12 is the great hall of faith in Ephesians 11, or I mean Hebrews 11. And then it moves in. It talks about all these people and the great exploits they did. And then it says in chapter 12, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It's saying that our lives are being played out before the saints that have gone before us. And the idea, Paul is borrowing from Roman, Grecian, Olympian, uh, you know, imagery that there's people in the stands that have already run their race. It's like a relay race. Uh, I was just telling one of the young girls here this morning, I used to run the relay race. I was the first leg because I was a skinny, fast kid. And I would, I would run the first leg and hand the baton off to the next one. And I tell you what, I was very interested in the next leg and the next leg and the, because I was invested. They were building on the, the, what I had gained in my run, I wanted them to build upon. It was a relay race. And what we are running is a relay race. 
and those saints that have gone before have passed us a baton. And in Hebrews 12 gives us a hint that there are times at least that God allows those who have gone before us to watch what is going on. And they're cheering us on. And they're appealing to the Father, how long, how long? Revelation says there's a prayer meeting going on in heaven. Your prayer life doesn't, doesn't end here. It goes on in there. And those that have gone before are cheering for us and appealing to the Father. God, how long, Lord, move on the earth. And so we're in relationship with those who have gone before. And the reason this came so forcibly to me this week is it would have sometime in Korea, one of those meetings, it all kind of melted together. But it, we had this meeting and it was so holy, just the, the presence. It was like God landed like a 747 in that room. And I remember Christopher was preaching and he said, Catherine, come up here. And she came up and she just got down on all fours. And he called the leader of the ministry to come to us. He said, Dave, if you want to come up. And I didn't move. It, it just felt so holy. I thought, I, I don't want to move. I, I don't want to tamper with this. I just stood there and wept and wept. And I didn't know what was going on, but it felt like a commissioning service. And people, you understand, these are Presbyterians. They are not charismatically predisposed. Nobody's praying for him. All of a sudden, no catchers. People just start hitting the floor. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Just the fear of God was in the room. And I was like, oh, God. Just worshiping Jesus. And it just seemed so holy. I, I couldn't. I didn't know what was going on in the atmosphere other than God was empowering people and touching people powerfully. And these people, people began to weep and get touched by the Lord. It was just a powerful service. And after the service, Catherine came to me and there's just this residual presence hanging over us. And Catherine comes over and she starts weeping. She said, Pastor, I heard the martyr's song. She said, I heard it audibly. I heard it from heaven. The, the martyrs were watching and they were singing. And, and what I was feeling, I believed her. I, I just, it, it broke me. That night, Christopher and I were staying, we were, we were on this island uh, with, where the conference was, is, and, and we, we were staying in this pastor's home, and that night, Christopher and I are just processing, we're just in awe of what the, God, the Lord had done, and we're standing there in the fear of the Lord, and Christopher says, Dave, he said, I'm telling you, I didn't say anything to anybody, I didn't, I didn't release this, he said, but I... The martyrs were watching us from heaven. And I looked at him. I said, did Catherine say anything to you? He said, no. I said, she didn't tell you what she heard. And I told him. And we both just stood there and awe. The next day, we're in the service, the testimony service. And one of the little broken ladies from North Korea got up. And she began to talk, share about all the friends she had lost. The people that had been murdered by the, the North Korean regime. But they stood for the gospel. And she's talking about how the Lord was ministering to her the night before when God just came in in such a thick way. And then she said this. She said, and I heard the martyrs singing in heaven over us last night. It's like they were cheering us on and she began to sing. And Catherine said it was the same song she heard. I'm telling you, death has been reinterpreted by what Jesus did. We don't lose those who have gone before. We are in this thing together. And they are watching and they are cheering us on. And if you feel like your dreams have died, don't give up. It's not the end of the story. And sometimes, out of that passage in Hebrews 12, we don't have time to get into it, or Hebrews 11, sometimes we will die without our 
dreams being fulfilled. But it, that, that's a different class of saints of which the Bible says of them, the world is not worthy. Because God withholds the fulfillment for them and He adds it to those who are still alive to give a greater answer to those who have gone on before. I'm telling you, the resurrection, when Jesus broke out of the grave, He reinterpreted death, the death of your dreams and even the death of your loved ones. And we are part of a great company, a great cloud of witnesses. And they watch. God lets them see. And they have labored and ran the race and they've now passed the baton to you and I. And they're cheering you on. Don't drop it. Don't give up in the middle of the run. Because you misinterpret the mystery of what God is really doing. And fail to realize that God is going to take captivity captive. That the battle you're in is going to turn out for your victory in the end. Don't allow the enemy to feed you his narrative. Believe what the Word says. God is good. And everything shall be turned out for the good of those who believe. Everything will be turned out for the good of those who believe. Let's stand. Thanks for listening in today. Visit us at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks again for tuning in.